Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and today's guest is a world-class coach. And I can tell you that um, I'm excited about what she's going to bring to us today, just from her story, her experience, and how she's helped so many people today overcome. And this whole thing, the Driving Change Podcast, is about looking at your life, rewinding the tape, which she says, I love that expression, and finding ways for you to take the, the story that you've lived and define it in a new way so that you can actually maximize um, your purpose in life. So um, Irene Ortiz-Glass is a founder and CEO uh, of the Leadership Advisory Group. Um, She's primarily an executive coach today, but she does a lot in the way of organizational design, change management. She has 20 years of former executive experience with companies like SAP, where she did several leadership roles uh, from running the cloud business to global talent organization for North America sales. She worked for Corn Ferry's leadership of talent practice. She's just, she's just a world-class leader. And so Irene, I, I, here's what I'm nervous about before, before you jump in. I also know that you have a passion for working with type A executives who suffer from burnout and overachievement. When I saw that, I started to wonder if my team might've picked you for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they were hoping this would end up being, maybe they were hoping this would be an executive coaching session for, for me. We can, we can work on that later. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled and honored to have you on. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, now for those of you right now, at the time of year we're recording this, I shouldn't date it, but we are in February and I'm recording this from Ohio and she's in Southern California where it's beautiful and sunny. So do you get that picture in your mind now? There's already some dichotomy happening here. So um, Irene, as we start with all of our guests, we always like to know a little bit more about your origin story, your why, where you came from. And I know you have a really powerful one. Could you, could you share that with the, with the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So I believe that the origin has so much to do with who we are, right? The way the experiences we have and the way we start in the world is generally how we end up behaving and showing up later. So my origin is interesting. My uh, grandparents immigrated here from Mexico with a couple bucks in their pocket and just to hope to make it. Um, my mom was, I think at the time when they came here, one, um, yeah, one year, one year old at the time. Um, she was born in Chihuahua, Mexico. And when they came here, they lived, um, you know, in a very, very poor area. My um, grandfather dipped parts for a living, he used to come home. And I remember seeing his hands blistered from dipping parts all day without the appropriate safety precautions and good, good things to wear over his arms and, and, and his fingers so he wouldn't burn. Um, And so it was interesting, you know, my mom um, negotiated their first mortgage because they didn't speak English. My mom married at the age of 19, my father, who left us when I was about five years old. He was, you know, more interested in partying at 19 than he was being a father. And uh, my mom remarried and she remarried um, somebody who was pretty successful. He was a driver. He was, you know, moved us to a new environment, a nice neighborhood, believed that college was something I should consider. I, I never thought I'd go to college. Um, but he was abusive and he was verbally abusive, would throw things, was angry quite a bit. Um, you know, he would speak to me in, in, in ways that were sexual. He never, ever touched me, but it was so mentally damaging to me that between my father leaving and not wanting to see me. And when he did see me almost in, in a way that 
was even harder. He would sometimes show up and sometimes not. And so, you know, anybody who's been through any kind of coaching, counseling, therapy, you know, they ask you to think back to your child, you know, what did that child look like? And everything that always used to come to mind when I went to counseling was the child at the window, because I would be at the window and I was a chubby kid as a child. And I, I now know that I used to eat to like repair my heart to try to, to try to increase serotonin in my brain. So I would feel better about all these uncontrollable circumstances in my life. But I remember standing at the window, hoping my dad was going to come anticipating him, my stomach being nervous and my dad not showing up. Mm. And so from a very young age, the messages for me in my mind were, you're not enough. You know, men are bad. These men don't like you. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. And I think that was like the tape. That was the tape. And and that tape, you know, kind of was playing in my head until probably I'm 50. And I'd say that tape was pretty strong in my head till about 12 or 15 years ago. Wow. Now you you had this, so this picture, I can just see this picture of the home life that you were in. Now tell me a little bit about your mom, because you probably saw... There's something that's genetically in you that's just you're a driver at that heart, right? And you're driven to to do things. But you're, here's your mom negotiating a mortgage when she's what ten or twelve years old for your yeah. your grandparents who couldn't speak English. Right. Um, you know, tell me more about her. What was she like? Is she was she somebody that you just looked at and said, "Man, she just gets stuff done"? Or what was her what was her spirit? That's like? such an interesting and good, smart question for you to ask me. So um, I wrote a book after this whole entire experience, which I'll talk about. But in the book, I talk about my mom was my biggest supporter and cheerleader and my harshest critic. Mm. So my mom loved me and to this day is an angel in my life. I could not, I wouldn't even be here without my mom. She has backed me in so many very difficult situations that I could not even count. But she's also a driver, but she's a quiet driver. It's like inside tenacious, gritty, never give up driver. It's not like my drive, which is much more externally focused. So she almost couldn't understand my external drive. It was almost too much for her, but she has a very strong core. But my mom struggled with what most people in that day and age struggled with, which was you never, ever say I'm getting divorced. My husband's, you know, speaking inappropriately to my daughter. And that's a bad thing because what will people think? It was a time when you didn't talk about that. And the real beauty about being a coach for me right now in this age is that we talk about everything, right? You know, I mean, everyone has a story, everyone has pain, everyone experiences highs and lows, and everyone now is more comfortable with sharing that story. And every time you share the story and the reason, quite honestly, I agreed to do this podcast is I believe that every time, if, if God will offer me an opportunity at any given moment in any day to help one person, even if it's just a little bit, to think differently about themselves or view themselves differently or view the world differently, then that's my purpose. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and isn't it funny how the stories we tell ourselves traditionally are told subconsciously without a really good producer, director, editor? Uh, and. Yeah, they are the ones that those are the stories that turn into beliefs 
that we don't even realize it's happening. It's like there's this whole movie set in our subconscious of people that are creating a narrative that has nothing to do with reality. And not until you bring it forward in your conscious mind and actually speak it out and talk about it and let someone else help you process it, are you able to look at what's real and what's not. Yet so many of us, especially back in that generation, they're taught just to shove it down, right? Shove it <laughs> just, down. Just shove it down in there. And then what Go happens is those, those bad beliefs get formed and you don't even realize it because it's at a subconscious level. And I think like you you do a great job today. It looks like at helping people take that personal life and the professional life and recognize that it's not two dichotomous lives. You're one person with one purpose and how to take those and put them together in a real meaningful way. Tell me a little bit more about your philosophy around how you help people do that. So it's interesting with COVID, right? This time that we're living in this strange time, Personal and professional, we always used to coach and tell people like personal and professional are one, they're not two. And no one really bought into it. They thought we were crazy. Now they're like, yes, it's totally one because I'm living, I'm working, the kids are here, my husband's in the next room with his laptop doing Zooms, and we're all mixing it up. And so what's interesting to me is who you are and, and the way we you know talk to people about this is that who you are is not like a separate bucket at work and a separate bucket at home and a separate bucket with friends. Who you are is who you are. So we use a genetic assessment called Emergenetics, which looks at your genetic blueprint, where you place energy just naturally when you were born and it got more solidified in those neurons as you grew up. That, that is static. If you took it at 10 and you took it at 45 or 55 or 105, it stays the same. So the beauty of this idea of development and helping people to understand themselves, we do in three different ways. We do one in managing self, which is rewind the tape. Who do I want to be and who am I and why am I that person? You know, what what are the stories I tell myself? What are my beliefs? Are they serving me? Are they even true? And do I need to rewind the tape? So that's the first part. And the second part is understanding where am I in the sphere of balance in the wheel of life? So if I were to look at career and family, friends, funds, spirituality, finances, how does that look for me? And am I happy with that? And then how am I taking all these things about who I want to be and closing those gaps and then identifying my true purpose in life to live purpose in my job? And to be a leader leading with strong intention, character, and purpose. Because we know when you get to that place where everything that's good and that you love and that you value shines along with your preferences and who you are, you cannot go wrong. You will never not be successful, ever. I've seen, I've turned so many people's heads around on that many, many, many times. They don't believe me in the beginning, but they usually do by the end. (laughs) Well, now I've got like 37 questions. Okay, I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) Uh, I, I do think... Let me start with this. So you mentioned that you do that the genetic assessment because that's unique, right? Not a lot of people do that in the coaching realm that kind of identifies. To tell me a little bit more about that assessment. How does it work and what does it actually tell you? Yeah. So I used to use only one assessment, which was a benchmarked assessment that we used at Corn Ferry that said, are you good as a leader? Do you fit the mold? Are you bad as a leader? Are you underneath like your level of intensity around what good should look like? Right. And the more I did this work, I realized that wasn't the whole picture, that there was more to it about wiring, what you, who you just are, and that, you know, God gave you like a unique thumbprint, like every one of, I, I'm just blown away that 
we have a unique thumbprint, like all of us. That just seems that by itself and the miracle of having children just overwhelms me. But this idea that you're unique, right? And the way you show up in the world is unique led me to do some research on understanding what was out there. And one of my coaches used Emergenetics. And he said, you should look into this. So I researched it, talked to the person who uh, was facilitating certifications on it and started using it and shadowing him and fell in love with it. So what it does is it looks at the modalities of the brain under social structure, analytic, um, conceptual thinking, and it kind of gives you this picture by color of where your preferences and energy are. The whole assessment is where do you get your pleasure and energy and happiness from? Is it being super big picture and ideating? Is it being really analytic? Is it like all about the people? And this actually shows if you have one or more modality preferences. So you can have a unimodal, a bimodal, a trimodal, or a quadrimodal. It then looks at your behaviors underneath on another scale, which is not, again, as good or bad. It's, is your preference to be more introspective in peacekeeping? Are you more assertive? Are you more excitable when you talk and gregarious? Are you more reserved? It's looking at all these different things in combination with one another. And so we use that now along with the other assessment that looks at, now that we know your genetic blueprint, how's it showing up as a leader? And when we do those two with the 360 interview, I'm generally about 99.5% got the person. I know who they are. I know where they're coming from and I know how to guide their coaching. Yeah, that's good. I think that's helpful to peel the peel the layers back, right? And, and what would you what advice would you give people out there who they don't have access to that level of coaching, but the information kind of just in general terms of what you t- tend to find through your assessment process? Hey, say I'm just um, you know, I work, for, you know, I work, I work in a blue collar job at the, at the, at a break factory over here, but I want to be a better dad. And I want to be a better coach to my kids, little league team. I just don't know why I get stuck and hung, you know, wrapped around the axle every time I get into conflict, like any advice you'd give to that person who just is never going to be able to either afford or have the access to that level of assessment that start to even self self-regulate Reflect. a little. So there's a lot of assessments you can do online. They're very, very inexpensive and some of them are even free. So the Myers-Briggs, the Berkman, the DISC, I think any of those start to, if you've used a couple of them would give you a story of, okay, this is who I am. I'm seeing patterns. And those you can do online. Um, I also think getting feedback from other people and asking for feedback from those in your life, those that you work with is very beneficial in getting real-time information on how people view you. But I find the people that are most self-aware are the most successful. So finding threads. Now the Emergenetics by itself is not that expensive to take. Um, you know, for probably like $400, you can get the assessment and one of our coaches to interpret the data. You know, that sounds like a lot of money, but I have had people tell me like, just knowing this about myself has helped me so much know about me and how to interact with all these people who I had no idea I was interacting with in a way they weren't hearing me. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and I'm a big fan of those two. I think every every bit of the pieces of what you can learn about yourself. The question is, <laughs> how do you get someone to be more self-aware who doesn't have self-awareness enough to know they should be more self-aware? Uh, so that's that's here or there. <laughs> let, let, me, uh, let, let me go and, and we'll rewind the tape a second on something else. I wanted to go back to a question that you you primed in my in my mind. One of the more personally and, and more of the some of the mentoring I, I do in, in friendships and discipleship stuff is I, we always get the question. Hey, you know, I just don't know what my purpose is because I, I couldn't agree with you more that each of us has a couple of superpowers, at minimum one superpower, some unique, unique thumbprint. And, and we do have this 
we do have this purpose. And I, ha- I have a thought behind what I've discovered around that, but I mean, I would love to hear mm-hmm. how you help people recognize, first of all, that they do have a purpose and then how to find theirs. So it's interesting when I started going through um, this life of after my whole dramatic upbringing, I became a, a really strong, overwhelming type A perfectionist and everything had to be over the top all the time from my home to my cars, to my work life, to my going from being in London to being at preschool in the same two days to make everybody feel like I had it down. Um, so it's, it's sort of interesting how life works around purpose. Um, my personal belief, and it's, you know, it is my personal belief and I'll just share it because I believe in being a truth teller is really important for me is that when I was going through everything I was going through, I read a book by Rick Warren called the purpose driven life. And I'm sure you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. The first page says it's not about you. And I was like, okay, that kind of sucks that this man is writing this book and his church is up the street and it's telling me it's not about you. And that just sounds kind of corny. So I read the book and I started attending the church and I was overwhelmed by the fact that I was leaning on a totally wrong stack of logs in my life that when it's not about you and you figure out the gift you're given to give to the world that's where the magic happens. And much like what you've done, I think with your work is serving is your way of connecting and giving back. And, and you don't even know what it's going to do out there in the world. It's sort of weird kind of, but it takes on a life of its own. That is far greater than you ever anticipated. That's the beauty of it's not about you. It's about your creator. And it's about the gift he gave you that makes you uniquely qualified to do so much more than you can ever have imagined that'll almost blow your mind. (laughs) So when I help people, you know, around purpose, sometimes I'll share that. Sometimes I won't. I mean, sometimes people like are uncomfortable with me sharing faith. Um, so I don't always go there. Um, and sometimes I'll say, listen, I think you need to define purpose. And I think the way we need to work on this is thinking through what is the gift you bring? What is your superpower? What is when you're doing it, you feel alive? Like you're like, I'm meant to do this. I'm so in flow. I'm in my groove. I do yoga like three times a week. When you're in yoga, like the whole world could be falling apart and you don't know it because you're breathing and you're stretching and you're in your cells and you're like feeling that good feeling. That's the feeling of flow when you're in your space. Like when I'm coaching and when I'm having this, I mean, I could do this all day and I would just be like on fire. Like by the end of the night, I probably wouldn't sleep. That is when you know. And so people are on a treadmill of tactical execution now on this Zoom situation more than ever. They're burning out faster than they ever have. People are mentally struggling and they're not pulling back to actually think about these higher order things. And it is really causing some stress and pressure for people. Yeah, so good. Um, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And and, uh, I thought the, the vision that I had as you were talking was, when it comes to purpose and, and people trying to understand that is go, go stand by a lake and throw a pebble in it and then do that every day for a week and watch the ripple. Then go and take a pebble every day for a week out of the lake. What are you going to do with those pebbles? That's a Nothing. great analogy. Great you, hoarded those, analogy. you hoarded those pebbles and you have no use for them because you were a taker and not a giver. But when you put the pebble back in, right, the ripple effect to your point you don't even know how you impacted the other side of the lake. I don't even know how you and I connected. I was like, how did I get introduced to this guy? And this stuff happens to me 
all the time and I'm just continue to be. And it's like, again, I go back to, if this is an opportunity where my purpose is going to serve, I'm all in like whatever it takes. I'm going to make it happen. Right. Yeah. So many people, um, are, are they get stuck. And what I found is I love it because we get to, we get to coach people in the business realm. You know, when I started my company 10 and a half years ago, I thought I was going to be an executive coach myself. When I got certified, ICF certification, then I realized that I, you know, I don't like people, but no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, what I found was, is that I had this moment of, of, of aha where I was meeting with these presidents and CEOs and I could clearly see that they were the problem but they felt like their growth was the problem. The company's growth was the problem. And so I just kind of had this, this kind of spirit filled moment one day where I felt like God said, Hey, fix what they think is broken. And they will be less, more open to listen to you to tell them what's really broken. Right. 100%. And that's how we shifted our whole practice to being, you know, more growth uh, consulting with sales, marketing, leadership, and coaching. And yet I still find people that get so stuck because when I find someone who's stuck, inevitably they're stuck because they're all inward. Yeah. They're all self-preservation yeah. uh, orientation and they can't quite see. So that when you're in it, see the, you, I love the, the flow. You talk about the flow. You can't operate in your flow when you're, when your nozzles turned inward, <laughs> right? No you, just, you can't do it. You'll flood yourself. Totally. That's what will happen. Your flow will flood yourself. You'll flood in the flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree. I think, I think I've probably seen that a few times. Yeah, I've probably done it to myself a few times. I, mean, I know fact, I have. I, I know I have. And this brings me to the, the the point where when you talk about stress, we've all come through this. This past year has really been strange for a lot of people, I find. And I was curious how you feel about this with your clients, just your friends and, and in general. I found that people were almost always on one end of the spectrum or the other. There was very few in the middle. And what I mean by that is some people were like, this is the most stressful time I've ever had. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I'm so worried. There's so much fear, so much anxiety. And other people were like, this is the first time in five years that I haven't been on an airplane and I got to play with my kids every night for six months straight. I get to be a dad again, or I'm getting to be a mom again. Or they were almost like these complete polar extremes where some people rediscovered themselves while others got so mired in fear and, and trembling and anxiety that they couldn't get out of their own way from a cortisol flood in their own mind. Yeah. How, did, how did you experience that with your clients, yourself and your friends through this? What have you seen? Yeah. So for me in the beginning, I was the person who said, wow, not traveling every week is glorious. I'm on vacation. This is great. I can do everything from home. I love this. And then I hit a wall around six months in where I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't going away. And I'm, I'm getting kind of depressed. Like I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling lower energy, more stress, same day, every day. I don't like it. I'm a very creative. I need a new like outlet every day. And I was feeling overwhelmed by that. Um, so personally, I had to create structure and outlets for myself that were not related to work that would allow me to get social interaction, time away from Zoom, time away from constant calls, because what we've done now is taken two days of work and put it into one, which leave it up to the human race to make things more complicated, not less under a most complicated situation. I mean, if that's not stupidity, I don't know what is, but we've done that. So the idea was with my clients, I started to see the exact same thing, extreme high levels of burnout. Um, really, really starting to wear on them. Um, a lot of like some people feeling like apathetic, like I just don't care anymore. Other people feeling like if I have to do one more Zoom call, I think I'm going to cry. And so I started to work with them on what I call <laughs> the small pieces, the small corners is what I call them. And what I mean by the corners is you've got to find a corner for yourself. And the corner is something very simple. So the corner could be 15 minutes every, in between every call that you no longer back to back, 
because we all know we're late for one and then the other. And then what happens is now we're stressed because we've got ourselves under this tight, tight time frame. So I coach my clients to have no less than 15 minutes. In that 15 minutes, I coach them to grab a corner by walking, grab a corner by grabbing a chamomile tea or a coffee or something, water, anything, move your body, grab a corner by putting a yoga mat or a towel or anything in your living room or close to your workspace. And when you see it, it is your reminder that in that 15 minutes, in one of those 15 minutes, you are to lay down, close your eyes, put in ear pods of very beautiful classical music or rain and breathe seven times in and all the way out. And if you don't feel different by the seventh time, call me and I'll send you a hundred dollars. <laughs> the body is a miracle. Yeah. It, your body craves homeostasis so much, but we don't give it homeostasis. We give it crazy town. And so those are some of the things I start to coach on. The other thing is how many hours a day are you working? When are you shutting it off? And then when you do, what are you doing? What is your social pattern? Even if you're socializing on a tele, uh, a teleconference or it's on a phone or in person at a distance or with a mask, some of us are wired back to our genetics. I'm a high social. I was feeling depression because I was not connecting. Most of us are wired for connection. The Brene Brown thing. We're wired for connection. God made us to connect. And what's fascinating to me about COVID, and this will be my COVID commercial, COVID was not an accident. I believe COVID came because we were all the way about social media and technology and we didn't care about relationship anymore. And so it was all taken away for us to recalibrate. Mm. That's why I believe this happened. And there's probably other reasons too, but I think it really was brought our way because we needed a reset. Yeah. I think it's been good for a lot of people to check their mindset. And I don't yeah. mean just in the moment, like how do you approach creating your mindset? Cause you do right every day you wake up and you create a mindset for yourself. And um, I think that I, I know for myself that mindset was one of, okay, it's challenging um, because you know, business where I'm out keynote speaking once or twice a month on a plane and our, our, our trainings, a lot of them were live and you know, yep. like you, I'm very social and I'm very creative and I'm, I love that stuff. I thrive on it. Give me a, a whiteboard and a flip chart and a marker and, and we'll travel. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. I've got ideas. Tell me what you're trying to solve and I'll help you solve it. I got, I got ideas. Um, and so I, I kind of found myself going through that a little bit as well. And, and I think it, it's that, the energy that you create from a mindset is so important and where you put that energy and place it back to the story you tell, right? You know, so many people were started throwing themselves pity parties um, pretty early on in, in COVID and the companies that, that thrived were the ones who had the creatives who said, okay, all right. Yeah. So we got a, we got a sandwich. It's a, you know, it's a, you know what sandwich let's, let's put some ketchup yeah. on it and let's figure out what we're going to have to drink with it. <laughs> let's go. <That's> it. <laughs> Now, as you start to think about one of the topics I want to jump into with you, because it's very important to me, uh, my oldest is a sophomore at the Ohio State University, Grace. Uh, she's, the, uh, she's, the, she's the heir to the throne, so to speak. She's my, <laughs> the apple of daddy's eye. Um, Love it. And then my youngest is uh, Princess Priya. She's uh, our, our daughter that we adopted from India seven, nice. how old is she? Six years ago. And, and she's going to probably rule the world one day. But, and, then our, and our son's in the middle. I, what I love about Grace and, and Priya is one, they're just they're just amazing human beings. But two, they're growing up in an age where women are starting to see that they have more value than maybe the society has been telling them as they were growing up. They had. Now, my daughter, she's educated me, right? <laughs> She has. Ever since she was a teenager, she has brought me into the realm of looking at life 
differently. And so as someone who's not a woman, clearly, to someone who coaches and has a passion for women, women in leadership, women to step into roles, I find it conflicting and yet encouraging at the same time. And I want to know if you, what advice you have for the women who are listening out there today to say, hey, this isn't about, and maybe I'm going to put words in your mouth and you correct me. Um, this isn't about man holding you back. It's about you not taking what you could. It's about you not being who you're capable of because if you're capable of who you are, it doesn't matter. Um, and that's why I've always encouraged Grace to be. You be the star that you're meant to be and everything else will line up and, 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 and look at you as such, right? Oh, true. What, so, could you, what, what can you tell our, our groups out there listening, especially the female leaders and aspiring leaders about what you've learned about that in your life journey? Because it's been an f- interesting one for you to get to where you are. Well, you're, you're preaching to the choir on this to me because what I will say to you is despite all of the upbringing issues and all of the challenges, I never actually doubted myself in the workplace. I never told myself I can't do that because they're in the room. And I worked in Germany with a board of all males who were over 55. I never, ever, ever had a thought in my head that was, I can't sit in the room with them or I'm, you know, I was nervous, but it wasn't like, I can't do this. That never entered my head or they think because I'm a woman, I I don't know why, to be honest, given my past, but I never, ever questioned that. So when I work with women, what I ask them in the, from the get-go is, so what do you think men are think Like, what is the issue and challenge with working with men? Oh, they think because too assertive that that's a negative and they're going to see me as the B word instead of a professional. I said, okay, let's peel that back for a minute. Is there any facts to support that? Is there any, has anybody told you they've thought that? Have you ever really, you know, seen it live? You know, are these things true or are you just buying into that? Because when you buy into it, you now interact differently. Right. Right. You may come on too strong because he's thinking you're the B word and you're going to prove him wrong. So now you're all up in his business, which is only reaffirming (laughs) the belief in your head. (laughs) So I do go down this rabbit hole with them about what are you telling yourself that's keeping you from having a better leadership relationship collaboration with the men you work with. And I will tell you, some of it is true. Yeah, there's some stuff out there about what men think, blah, blah, blah. But like 70% of it is what we tell ourselves. And I'll tell you, I never was blessed to be in these incredibly large young age because I told myself, oh, those guys don't like me. I used to tell myself, I've got this. And I used to tell myself things like, I'm a leadership development expert. These guys, they may try to break me down, but I probably know more about this topic than they do. So I'm probably going to be okay. And what it did is it shifted me from viewed as somebody who was not a partner to being a partner. Yeah. Well, to me, it goes back to how are you designed to make life better for other people? And, and, and I don't think it matters, the gender, the race, the orientation, none of that. I think that that's part of our purpose and our design, right? And I love women leaders that have a, I love leaders, period, that have a confident humility, but I love women leaders who just are so comfortable in their skin yeah. that they can be in a room full of of just egotistical, narcissistic men, and they just have this presence where you're like, uh, I'll work for her. You know what I mean? And and that's how I want my daughters to be, right? I want them to be so confident in who they are that no, nobody, man, woman, otherwise is going to prevent them from being the person they were designed to be. Now, when they get the stories in their head, to your point, where they start to reinforce these beliefs because they're trying to anticipate something that may not even be true. And even if it is true, it won't help them. 
That's, that's right. where I, I look at people like you and say, I can't help a lot of women leaders because they just think of me as another coach who's a man who doesn't get it. But you can speak truth into their life in a way that's really meaningful. Well, a lot of the women I do end up working with are CMO, EO, SVP females who have taken this whole idea of men think I'm, you know, I need to like push harder to the extreme and they're playing in their leadership because they're over the top. And a lot of it is what you just used the word is humility and service. You know, I'm working with someone right now and she's turning a corner and I said, what are you learning? And she said, I'm, I'm really learning that like, if I just tried to serve the people who work for me and really listen and really care about what they need and try to help them grow, that I will be successful. It goes right back to Rick Warren. It's right. not about me. I was like, oh my gosh, how did this guy know this like so long ago and become, you know, a million plus selling books all over the world? Well, it isn't about you, but it is our moment. If you can know who you are and figure out what your gift is, your purpose, what you were created for, and how you can live that out in the world with humility and love and grace, I will right now, every door is open to you as a female. If you can figure the magic out, it is, it is every door is open to you because diversity is a topic, because we want more women, because we want better and bigger ideas and different ideas, and women bring that, and women bring EQ. Women, a lot of emotional intelligence, not that men don't, but women are wired hormonally. If you look at the science, we are hormonal beings with a lot of estrogen, which has a lot to do with EQ, emotion, and feeling. We need that today more than ever. Uh, yeah, I love it. And I think there's such a difference between, and this is where I want, especially some of the female leaders, inspiring leaders to hear. I know it's coming from a man, so we'll, we'll see if you have enough humility to receive this. It, it's, <laughs> there's a difference between being having confident humility and being passive. Totally. You, totally you can, agree. Right. You can be, have confident humility and still have accountability and still yes, be assertive. Right. Like, and totally. still, right. And I think sometimes we mistake that idea. Well, you say confident, hum, you say humility or vulnerability. Then I feel like, well, that's just, you're putting me in a box again. And now we're going to look at me as this passive, you know, little mousy female in the corner. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not yep. it at all. You you have confident humility and it's it's attractive as a leader that people want to follow you. And even even those bold, brazen men um, <laughs> will, they will, they'll fall in line. I've seen it happen where they, they recognize will. the strength of a great female leader because they see how much they, they have to offer them personally in leadership development. It is, it is. So everybody who comes to me, the way I'm described in the market, if you will, is, if you have like a type A, you know, crazy woman on your team who just can't seem to like calm down and get, be nicer and more interpersonal and doesn't run people, you should have them go talk to Irene. Well, they don't come talk. I mean, I am a strong woman. I am a driver. I am a, um, I, I'm a focused leader. Right. But I'm also soft and caring and servant driven. So to your point, those two are not mutually exclusive. So when they come to me worried, I'm going to break them down into the soft, doughy leader. But by the time we have our first meeting, they're like, I get it. It's not about one or the other. It's about, it's about who I am and how I serve and how those work together. So maybe instead of you founding the leadership advisory group, you should have founded the Velvet Hammer Club. 
<laughs> you know, I don't know. They might call me that and I just don't know it. I, I hopefully, do. I didn't, hopefully I just didn't give some ammunition out there for any of your team that might listen to this today. Well, th- this has been amazing. And I want to, I want to give people a chance to go find more about you, more find, more find out more about the work you do. I know you've got a book out there as well. Where can, where can folks go to learn more about you and your firm and all the work that you're doing? Yep. Leadershipadvisorygroup.com is our website. It talks about all the work we do. Um, I do speaking engagements. I do coaching work one-on-one. We do leadership work with leadership teams around executive development and strategic work and change management. Um, And, you know, we just, we care passionately about helping people to find their purpose and to thrive in life. That's my purpose is to help other people to thrive, not exist, but to actually really thrive in life as a whole. Love it. So go check out the website, check out her book, uh, look at how you might be able to bring her into your organization and her team. And um, this has really been a pleasure and I'm glad you were able to be on. I, I've learned a lot. I feel like I did get some, some, some free coaching myself. <laughs> Good. From this. So I was going I, for that. I appreciate it. And for those listening, you guys know on the landing page, you can find the the links. If you're listening on one of the other platforms, iTunes, whatever, uh, just go to the landing page and click on the link, or you can go straight to the website itself, leadershipadvisorygroup.com. Once again, Irene, thank you so much for being a guest on the Driving Change Podcast. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Have a great day. All right. You as well. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.